Hi everybody, it's Leslie Jane Seymour and I'm here for Reinvent Yourself and I have the wonderful Susan Hyatt who just wrote a book called Bear and as she says, it is a book that's going to turn the diet industry on its head. And what I love about our conversation today is she says, what if all that time we spent on shrinking our body, we spent on growing our life instead. I think that's such a wonderful quote. And how many of us wouldn't like to do that instead? She grew up in Savannah, Georgia, started as a journalism major, and had a teacher who told her she couldn't write. So she built out of that and became a poli sci and women's study uh, major instead. Went to a PR firm worked in Philadelphia, and then when she had kids, she stayed home for a little bit, and she says she became a cross between Martha Stewart and Betty Crocker when her kids were five to three, and went into real estate because it drove her crazy just hanging at home, and and, uh, she just became this obsessive mother. And then eventually what she did is she picked up with Dr. Martha Beck, who um, she read her book, Find Your Own North Star, And then she got trained by Martha as a coach, and that was 12 years ago. And she herself lost 35 pounds working with a coach and said she went from being a couch potato uh, to really working on deeper work that changed her whole emotional approach to everything. So I hope you'll enjoy this wonderful discussion we are about to have all about her new book, which is called Bear. And you're really going to enjoy Susan Hyatt. So hello, Susan Hyatt. How are you today? Hi, Leslie. I'm amazing. And I'm so thrilled to be here. Yeah, no, I'm glad to talk to you. I have to say the first chapter of your book rang so many bells for me. And I'm so glad that we get a chance to talk. Why don't you talk a little bit about your your book and how you got there, because that's part of your reinvention. And then we'll go back into your history of reinvention. (laughs) I love the topic of reinvention because I'm only 45, but I feel like I've reinvented myself already a couple of times and, and I'm on the road to the next reinvention. But the book is called Bear and it's a seven week program to really transform how you think about your body how to get more energy, how to feel amazing, how to become more brave and unstoppable. And these are all things that women who are reinventing themselves want to hear more about. So I'm super excited to have this book coming out. And it's really talking about reinventing your point of view on your body, right? So that you can be released from this constant worry and constant negative thought, correct? Absolutely. It's it's really turning the diet industry on its head. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, I had a kickoff party over the weekend where I was talking to a group of women who had purchased my book and were at the advanced uh, book signing party. And, and I said to them, you know, just imagine how much time you spend thinking negatively about how you look and changing clothes because nothing fits and worrying about, did you count your macros and your calories and weigh your food? And what if you devoted all that time and energy into expanding your life instead of shrinking your body. Mm-hmm. What do you think would happen? And the whole room started going, uh-huh, uh-huh, just like you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the amount of power and energy we give away is unbelievable. Wow. And 
What are you attributing that to? I mean, do you think it's some large patriarchy? See, unfortunately, in in this day and age, I start to think that, like, the more that the patriarchy can keep us thinking about all our problems, the Mm -hmm. less likely it is we can look up and say, you know, there's another problem here. We are two peas in a pod here, Leslie, because (laughs) that is absolutely what I'm suggesting in the book is that, you know, who benefits from women being so distracted by their bodies that we're not taking over the White House, right? The patriarchy. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's structural, it's cultural, it's, you know, family of origin. We are steeped in messaging that we are not enough as we are from birth. And Mm -hmm. so there's no wonder we're all walking around comparing ourselves and competing instead of collaborating. And my hope is that this book helps put a chink in that glass ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? And you said you're a multi-serial reinventor. So let's talk a little (laughs) bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Savannah, Georgia. Um, I live in the Midwest now. I live in Indiana and have been here about 20 years. And my career, I actually started out in college as a journalism major. And I had, Uh, yeah, absolutely. I had an English 101 teacher tell me that I couldn't write and not to embarrass myself. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) And at 18 years old, I didn't have the tools that I have today to not necessarily believe this person that I saw as a sense of authority. I was like, oh, well, she's amazing and she's a great writer, so she must know. She must know, right. Oh, God, that makes me – you have no idea that makes me so heartbroken. So many people I saw with my own son who had a great sense of writing and a great voice, and when they put him through – the ringer in grade school and taught him how to, how he had a right in a different way. He lost mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. I mean, you know? it, it really was for me, you know, I had my first job with the school newspaper and I wrote my first article covering an event and I just wanted my English 101 teacher to give me some feedback. Yeah. And the feedback she gave me was, you're not a good writer. Oh, oh and well, that's I believed just, her. Oh, yeah. So obviously you've thrown that off now because you wrote this yeah. book, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> and if I could find her, I would find her, her a copy. Uh, oh, I've looked, trust me. You but, have? Oh my God. We have to find her and send her one. I know. Like, hey. Here's um, from your here's from your unable to write kid. But you know, maybe <laughs> did that actually are you the kind of kid which I am, which is that makes me even more determined to show you that you're wrong. Well, unfortunately, yes, that is inherently how I am, but I was a little freaked out by college. I was overwhelmed, and unfortunately, I changed my major because Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm wrong. I'm not a great writer. I'm just going to change my major, and I was kind of, I finished college on time, but I kept changing my major, Mm -hmm. just trying to figure out what else I would do. And I graduated with a degree in political science and a minor in women's studies. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, it was really fabulous. And I lived right outside of D.C. at the time. So I went right away to work for a PR firm that had all government clients. Oh, wow. And so it was great training ground. Um, I was writing, just a different kind of writing than I thought I would be doing, Um, and worked in PR until I became pregnant with my son, Ryan. 
And at that point in time, I, we were moving to Philadelphia for my husband's career. And I was six and a half months pregnant. And I was like, you know what? I don't think anyone in PR is going to hire me six and a half months pregnant because I'll be taking maternity leave and, mm-hmm. and all those things. And so I stayed at home for a little while. And what, Leslie, I threw myself into stay-at-home momdom. <laughs> I, I was like the worst combination of Martha Stewart and Betty Crocker. Like I was going to nail it. I was going to be like the best stay-at-home mom you ever did see. And it was not great. It didn't work. Didn't Um, work. Okay. Didn't work. And so when the kids were uh, almost five and almost three, I re-entered the workforce as a residential real estate agent because I had this fantasy that realtors could set their own schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. And they can, I should say to all y'all realtors listening, um, I did get pretty good at having boundaries and, and setting that business up in a way that helped. But what real estate gave me was the ability to understand that I could create my own paycheck mm-hmm. and activated this entrepreneurial side to me that I honestly didn't realize existed. Mm-hmm. And so I really liked the fact that I could sell things and make money and work when I wanted. And however, over time, the emotional side of that industry really got to me. I really loved my customers and my clients. I loved finding people, the house of their dreams. I really didn't enjoy a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on in residential real estate land. Mm. And... um and decided what? that even like though I was what? Like, oh, <laughs> what my oh my god, oh my god, horrible! Oh my god, there are so many hilarious stories, but like oh my god, okay, agents fighting with each other. Oh my god, okay, I mean, there could be some really great reality TV shows. I was gonna like, say the, the oh my god, the residential real estate women of Atlanta, right? <laughs> It could be a hot show because there's so much that happened. I mean, every day I would say, you just can't make this stuff up. I mean, every single day. So um, it was an example of, and maybe plenty of your listeners deciding to reinvent themselves feel this way, just because I was really good at it really didn't mean I had any business doing it. Mm. It was not my passion. It was Mm -hmm. not fulfilling Mm -hmm. in the way that what I'm doing now is. And so- I started, I remember I was like wandering the aisles of Barnes and Noble and thinking like, what was that book again? What color is your parachute? You know, I was trying to find a book that would help me figure out what to do with my life. And I ultimately picked up a book that I still think is the best self-help book ever written, which is Dr. Martha Beck's book, Finding Your Own North Star. Mm, Highly recommend it if you haven't read it. Anybody listening, college kids should read it. It's amazing. Mm. Um, she was the columnist for me at Redbook before she went over to Oprah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she ultimately trained me as a coach. Oh, you mean that, directly? Directly. Oh, yeah. wow. How cool. That, okay. book, that book completely changed my life. And I went to her website. I saw that she trained coaches to do what she was doing. And that was it. I went to Arizona. I trained with her. Wow. Um, and reinvented myself again. 
Wow. Uh, into this career, which is, I'm about to have my 12 year anniversary as a coach. Ooh, can we talk a little bit about coaching? Cause I have a couple of interesting pieces coming up about it because yeah. it's really confusing to the consumer. Sure. Um, and what, you know, when we talk about transformation, there are a couple things that are going on is I hear from a tremendous, just like you probably did, tremendous amount of women who are stuck. Like they know they have to transform, they have to pivot, they have to get back in, they have to change, they've been let go, they're about to be let go, they're winding down when they don't want to wind down. But coaching, it's honestly, and you're going to laugh because of your orientation, but you know, I've gotten to the point where I'm calling it the real estate of this century because <laughs> everybody's a coach and you can't, it's very hard to understand who's a good coach. How mm. do you find out if there's a good coach or not? Is it just all who we, mm-hmm. you know, like, and there's brain coaches, body coaches, executive mm-hmm. co- I mean, it's so overwhelming anyway. So I have a couple of pieces coming up in the covey, but from your point of view, because, and, and also I will say at the same time, I've interviewed some really successful people who, when I said, um, you know, what were some of your keys to your success, they spent, one person who was really successful, I, when I asked her how much have you spent on coaching, she said $60,000. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't even understand that. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of coach you are and what people usually spend and what they usually get out of it? And how do you, how do you find the right coach? That's the hard part. Yeah, such good questions. And I just want to point out that like there weren't even words for coaching until the mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. It really is a baby industry. So in terms of, I think there's on, I think the last stats I saw from the ICF, the International Coaching Federation, there's maybe like 58,000 coaches worldwide. I know it mm-hmm. seems like there's a coach on every corner. But <laughs> it does. Like, it's it, like it, a it, Starbucks. Yeah. It really does. But th- compared to, say, like 1.8 million realtors. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Right? So both industries I've been a part of. And, mm-hmm. and I remember when I started in real estate, everyone said that to me, like, oh, there's a realtor on every corner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to be one of the ones that makes it. And mm-hmm. when I started coaching, no one had ever heard of it 12 years ago, really. Um, but now, like you said, it's becoming more popular. There are all different kinds of niches within coaching, like you said. So there are business coaches and executive coaches and parenting coaches and yes. weight loss coaches. Yes. And so really within the coaching industry, because it's such a a um, difficult thing sometimes to explain to people, like what's the return on investment? That's for a good question. Right? The best thing to do for coaches is to specialize so that they can say, so I have two niches. One is I help entrepreneurs make money and the other is bear. I help women stop dieting and learn how to love the skin that they're in. When you can explain to someone what's the solution that you provide, What's the problem you're solving? Then all of a sudden it doesn't seem so airy-fairy or magical, although there is magic involved sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's life coaching in general. There's no regulation in the field. You're Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. So anyone can call themselves a life coach. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. important to understand what kind of training has this person had? Are they certified? Yes or no? Should you look at the IFC? Is that what you where you want to look for that? That so certification? It's the ICF, International Sorry, Coaching. ICF. Sorry, right? my fault. That's uh-huh. okay. I will say, though, 
Dr. Martha Beck, who trained me, who I think is the Harvard of life coaching, she is not ICF certified because she was pre-ICF, really pre-ICF. So it's just kind of, yes, you can start with the ICF and that can give you some ideas of what they deem to be credible life Mm -hmm. coaching programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not all inclusive though, because they're sort of a self-appointed organization. Mm -hmm. So figuring out or asking yourself, what's the result I want in my life? And then finding a coach who's well-trained as much as you can tell. Look at the testimonials they have. Look at their Mm -hmm. online presence. Read Mm -hmm. things they've written. Listen to podcasts they've recorded. Mm -hmm. And it's really important, I think, to choose a coach that you think you can get along with who has an approach that feels practical to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you say you've talked to people who've spent 60 K coaching, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised at all because many, many of the best coaches charge a premium for certain results that they provide. So when people, when I help coaches price their services mm-hmm. and it's pricing is always such a weird thing because it's like, I'm always encouraging coaches not to necessarily price money for minutes. So it's not that you're on the phone with them and it, for an hour, therefore you should charge them this amount. It's what's the value of the result that they're getting? Mm -hmm. Because I could spend 15 minutes on the phone with somebody and provide for them a shift or a piece of advice that changes their lives. What kind of price do you put on that? So it's kind Mm -hmm. of this Mm -hmm. weird thing as a coach to figure out, okay, this is the amount of time I'm going to spend with them. Here's the amount offline that I'm going to spend on them, whether it's reviewing homework or creating challenges for them. And then what's the potential result they could experience in their lives. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where when you're hiring a coach, you really want to think about what is it that I want in my life specifically to be different Mm -hmm. and who do I trust to facilitate that transformation? And do you, is it best to find them for, through friends or other people you've seen transform or? I do think that that's a good way to find a good coach. So word mm-hmm. of mouth is a super powerful way. So asking around also Google is your friend. So really? You, okay. Yeah, so you can Google, um, what, well, if you Google weight loss coach, that mm-hmm. is a never ending list, right? But if you Google, you know, parenting coaches mm-hmm. and then find people that pop up that seem of interest to you, then do some research, check out their testimonials, you know, spend some time because this person's going to have intimate details into your life. You want to make sure this is a person that's credible and that knows what they're doing. So let's talk about weight loss coaches and because you're now your book is essentially a weight loss coach or an anti-weight loss coach right <laughs> it's get throw out the weight loss coach well like, it's more a little I, bit about that yeah so I'm not anti-weight loss because I think you can love your body and also want to make changes just like you can love your marriage and want to work on it or love mm-hmm. your country and recognize there are changes that need to happen oh, um, let's don't even go down that road <laughs> But, but when you're talking about a woman's body, I'm more interested in talking about life gain than weight loss. I think if you really think about how much time we spend trying to shrink our physical form, I, I'm more about expansion. So does weight loss occur? Yes. I spent the last 11, well, let me back up. 11 years ago, 
I added weight loss coaching to my repertoire. I had lost 35 pounds working with a weight loss coach. And you had yourself. Okay. Yeah, me, myself. And I was a couch potato, junk food junkie, just my attitude towards health, fitness, weight loss was very much like I am, I have way too many important things to do to worry about all that. But I wasn't taking care of myself and that didn't feel good either. And so I hired a weight loss coach and learned some tools and thought, you know what, if I can do this, I could really help a lot of women change their focus from just counting points or calories to more tuning into their own body. So even when I was doing weight loss coaching, it was a much more holistic approach. However, I started to notice that the deeper work I was doing with my clients was really where it was at for me. Mm -hmm. And it was getting down to the root of what were they telling themselves? Um, where did they get the idea that they weren't enough anyway? And healing mm -hmm. a lot of emotional wounds around food and body so that they mm -hmm. can then make decisions about what they wanted to do from a place of love rather than a place of lack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so did you find any common threads? I mean, did you, is it all emotional fulfillment that people are stuffing in the potato chips to <laughs> it's fill the hole for other things? I mean, it, it's definitely a big part of it. So, so food tends to become for busy women, a source of entertainment, a source of comfort. Um, it becomes a replacement for physical intimacy and fun and luxury and all those things. So I can remember picking my kids up from school, coming home, taking out an expensive wheel of brie and pouring mm -hmm. some expensive wine and thinking that that was treating myself and luxurious and all those things. And while, yeah, I still eat brie, I still have wine, it's not the only thing I'm doing. And it was, it was an attempt to numb a lot of the feelings and emotions coming up around feeling mm -hmm. bored as mm -hmm. a mom and mm -hmm. then feeling ungrateful and, mm -hmm. and lots of things that women who are figuring out reinvention go through. Mm -hmm. And so what is the overall sort of then position that you're asking women to take when they read your book? I just want uh, any of your listeners who pick up the book to have an open mind that you can have some fun again, that there are some really interesting steps you could take to expand your life, and then the food and body issue resolves itself. So you are not broken. You do not need another diet. If you haven't noticed, diets don't work <laughs> and aren't sustainable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that there is a way to get back in your life and figure out what you want and still eat. Mm-hmm. And do you want to give a little few examples of how that's worked out for some of your clients? Oh my gosh, so many. Um, there, in fact, one that I just heard about two nights ago at my book event, there's a, a woman who participated in a free online program that I offered, and it was called Miracle Week. And it was in a private Facebook group. And every day for five days, I used some of the bare tools to challenge people to go do things mm -hmm. and, you know, declutter your closet. And yeah, I thought that was interesting. You started with that. And, yeah. and I, I laugh because I'm such a neat Nick and my husband always laughs at me because I make the bed every day. And he's like, oh, so are the 
are the bed police showing up <laughs> shortly? And I'm like, no, because this is how I like to begin my day. So we've realized yeah. we can't come to terms on that. I make the bed. I just gave up yep. because I like to have that. I'm reading your thing and I'm like, yes, I knew there's all this stuff is important. It is important. And the thing is, my husband sounds like your husband. Um, <laughs> although he will now make the bed. I just go in and redo it a little bit after he's done because it's not quite the way I like it. But um, it's actually proven, Leslie, that women need physical clarity much more than men do. Ooh, that's so there really is something to, I mean... I and my girlfriends over the years, we have all complained to one another, like, how does he not see that? How right. does he walk through the, the house, oh, right? God. Yes. And not, why does this not? And it really is proven that women see it. Men mm. most of the time don't. And mm. we demand that kind of physical clarity very differently than they do. However, mm. that doesn't mean they're off okay. the hook, but however, um, decluttering it, your physical space contributes to your environmental state of mind. And mm -hmm. it's not just about being clutter free. It really is about turning towards what's in your closet, for example. And um, I love Marie Kondo and mm -hmm. uh, the magic of tidying up. And one of her questions is, does this spark joy? Mm -hmm. And for so many of my clients, almost nothing in their closet mm -hmm. sparks joy because mm -hmm. they're dressing either to cover up or they have mm -hmm. multiple sizes happening because they have this ambition wardrobe going. You know, if mm -hmm. I just lose 10 pounds, I can fit mm -hmm. into this. Mm -hmm. And I don't trust myself not to gain more weight. So I've got these larger sizes. And what's happening in the closet is speaking to you and what you put mm. against your skin is important. And so um, there was a woman who participated in Miracle Week and then she joined a group program I have called Bear Daily. And she, she stood up and gave this beautiful testimonial that she had lost weight and there was cake involved. And it's only <laughs> been a couple of weeks. And she was like, I can't believe that these little exercises are actually making a difference where chronic over-efforting in terms of macros and working out hadn't necessarily accomplished that for her. So you're really starting with the mental. Absolutely starting with the mental, starting with the stories you're telling yourself, mm -hmm. um, how are you treating yourself, carving out time for yourself, mm -hmm. putting other people in your house to work, um, there's so many things in this process that brings a woman home to herself mm -hmm. that's very different than suggesting that you just need more willpower to eat better and mm -hmm. work out harder. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that a woman being devoted to her own pleasure is what's required, not more willpower. Mm -hmm. So what was, as you were writing this book... Um, what was the biggest surprise that you stumbled upon? Was there anything or did you already kind of know the content before you got into it? Well, so when I started writing the book, I really started to think about when, when I realized that, hey, my real specialty in this space, like I can help people lose weight, but I realized what was most fulfilling to me and where I was most impactful was working with people to love how their body was appearing no matter what. And I started to, to curate and think about what are the exercises that I assign to my clients that seem to have the most bang for the buck? Mm 
And by bang for the buck, I don't necessarily mean they drop weight quickly. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, um, I don't know about you, Leslie, but anytime I have sat on a therapist's couch, I'm always like, oh, I see where she's going with this. And I'll tell (laughs) (laughs) me one step ahead. And I think um, I tried to pick out things that my clients wouldn't necessarily know what they were walking into. Like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm just going to declutter my closet. Or Susan said, I need to take myself out on a date. And it seems fun and it is, but so much comes up from these seemingly innocent little exercises. Um, so I started to to keep track of what oh. was having the most impact. And then it was originally six steps, not seven. And so to answer your question, the biggest aha I had through creating this process was that pleasure. Pleasure was added at the end Hmm. because what I realized was when I could get a woman to diversify her pleasure as well. So when I say pleasure, people think, oh, she's talking about sex, which Mm -hmm. yes, physical touch is important, but it was more, no, pleasure in terms of what kind of comfort do you need? Mm. Are you steeping yourself in beauty? What about mm-hmm. fun? Mm-hmm. What about, you know, uh, moving your body with love, all these things. Mm-hmm. I really started to think about and do research on that the body is wired for pleasure. And when we aren't honoring that, then we seek out pleasure in ways that aren't helpful. Hmm. Yeah. And what do you expect the most, the biggest takeaway from the book to be for your readers? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I think the number one thing is that this idea that you should look a certain way is a shell game. That it changes per decade. Beauty standards are, they are just created by people in any given time. You know, even in my own life, um, you know, right now the standards of beauty are, uh, Kim Kardashian and Nicki mm-hmm. Minaj and mm-hmm. right. Like the curvy, curvy, curvy where Twiggy was when my mom mm-hmm. was, you know, coming up. So it's mm-hmm. just the understanding that someone is making this up. Mm-hmm. You get to decide what's beautiful. You get to take your power back and expand your life. And it can be fun and luxurious and delightful. And it doesn't have to feel like drudgery anymore. Hmm. That sounds great. <laughs> so, and you also have a website people can go to. So they go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the website for the book is letsgetbear.com. B-A-R-E. Okay. Okay. And for anyone who wants to purchase the book, there's all kinds of book bonuses on there, free classes. Oh, great. Podcasts. So there's lots of free resources for your listeners. Okay. And free resources. Okay. And if we're going to leave our listeners with, let's say, two tips for reinvention, obviously you're a body reinventor. Yes. Uh, beyond beyond buying the book, which is obviously why we're speaking, <laughs> what what would you tell them is uh, two things that they can start on today um, that will move them towards that kind of reinvention? Absolutely. So the first one is movement with love. So um, I am a big believer 
in dropping the transactional relationship with your body. And what I mean by that is I used to, and most people I work with, I would say, okay, well, I'll do the stair stepper if I have JLo's booty by Friday. You know, that's, <laughs> that's a transactional relationship. I'm only going to work out in this way mm. if my body shapes up in this mm. way. Mm -hmm. And so dropping that and just moving for the sake of movement, because your body is a creature and it needs to move. And then you can start to hear your higher guidance, that mind body connection starts to become activated. So I don't care if it's walking around the block for five minutes, mm -hmm. I want to encourage you to move and then listen to what comes up when you do move it. Because when you're not moving it, your emotion gets stuck in your body. Mm. And so there's lots of practical reasons to move your body other than JLo's booty, although her booty is a work of art. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Um, number two, the other thing that I would encourage people to do is to eat with attentiveness. Mm. And so um, what I mean by that is some of the research that I've read and what's been true in my own life and my clients' lives is that I don't care if you have a kale smoothie and an RX bar, if you're eating it without attention, your body can't metabolize it properly. The brain has to understand that satiation is happening. And so that I was famous for that. I was mm. be like, I'm taking great care of myself. I have a green smoothie happening right now. Mm -hmm. but I would eat it, sip it in front mm -hmm. of a screen. Mm -hmm. So eating with attentiveness only takes a couple of extra minutes, I promise. Breathe, look at your food, let the brain register what's happening. Um, lots of studies have shown that people can do this with fast food and still lose weight. So you mean you're saying you can't be doing something else. You must concentrate on your eating much the way that the Europeans do. Absolutely. Which is part of what triggered this deep dive into this for me was traveling through Europe and recognizing the amount of time that Europeans spend enjoying meals instead mm -hmm. of standing and shoveling it in their faces like we do in our society. Now, mm -hmm. I don't have two hours for a lunch like the Italians. I really don't, but mm -hmm. I can take an extra three to five minutes to just recognize that a beautiful meal is happening and mm -hmm. eat and swallow and smell and taste. And don't do it in front of a screen or in front of a television or in front of a just... Yeah. actually enjoy the experience. Yes. Interesting. Yes, Any, anything else in, in closing here? I would just move through your day and pay attention to, the first chapter is all about environmental diet. What's coming mm -hmm. at you through your senses. So mm -hmm. what are you watching? What are you listening to? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about not just TV and, and radio, but what kinds of peer conversations are you entertaining? Mm -hmm. Um, What's coming at you through social media? All I, I mean, we're so busy just operating on default mm -hmm. and not being creators here. So I want the your listeners to pay close attention because there's probably a lot going on around you that's affecting you that you're tolerating that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was interesting where you talk about watching these television shows that are terribly angst oriented before bed and then you felt terrible going to bed until you got rid of the TV I show. I know yeah. my husband loves bloody cop shows and oh. that's not the best right before bed. Hello. No, interesting. So interesting. Well, I'm so thrilled that you took the time today and I know that book is going to be so fantastic and it's going to do great 
Thank you. And so everybody can go to letsgetbear.com and find the podcasts and all the extra free things and the book. And uh, I hope that we're going to meet in person at some point because I think you're a perfect uh, match here for Covey Club. Our, I'm sure that our listeners will be thrilled to find out what you have to say. So, Oh, thank you so much. I would love that. Great. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much. Okay, we're all good. Great. Susan, great. You're awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Just let me know when it's live and we'll promote it. That's great. Whatever I can do for you, let me know. Oh, you're a doll. So we just, the book is just there. That's it. Yeah, it's, there is a subtitle, which I can send you all that. A seven-week program to transform your body, get more energy. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. It's probably on the thing that Beth sent then. Yeah. But I just want to make sure that was the only real name. Yeah. But, yes, I'll put all that in there. Yeah, it's so funny how the subtitles have become a paragraph today. It's so funny. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so I funny. But there's I understand so much, that. There's so much back and forth about it. And I was like, what are we even saying anymore? But okay. Right. Whatever. Yep. That's great. Well, wonderful to talk to you. I hope that I'll meet you at some point. Okay. Thank you so much, Leslie. Great. Have a great Thanks, day. Susan. Bye-bye. Take care, hon. So thank you all for joining us today on Reinvent Yourself. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Susan Hyatt. I think she's onto something. I've I've never been able to diet myself, and I think it really is mindset. And she's just going to have you change the way you approach your life instead of trying to restrain yourself from eating something particular. If you like Reinvent Yourself, I hope that you will give us some stars so that other women can find us and learn how to reinvent themselves as well. And if you have anybody who would be great for me to interview on Reinvent Yourself, please send me a note about them. I'm at Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at cubbyclub.com. And I hope also that you'll join us at the Covey Club. We have got all kinds of interesting things going on from great content, great stories, and all kinds of connecting, both live and virtual. Hope to see you at the next episode of Reinvent Yourself. Take care.